Do you find yourself searching for true crime podcasts that are different from what you're always recommended? Do you want to make a real difference in the cases that you're following? Well, you're a crime junkie. And I'm Ashley Flowers the creator and host of the number one true crime podcast, Crime Junkie. There are hundreds of episodes already available, and each Monday we dive into the details of cases spanning from some of the most infamous to those that you have never heard covered before. Listen to Crime Junkie podcast now, wherever you're listening. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need. No matter where you are in life, when you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet, starting at $19.99 per month, offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. This is a special episode of The Deck, because the story I want to tell you today is about a man whose face is not in a cold case card deck. But we found the case so compelling that we've decided to bring you his story in what we're going to call a wild card episode. There will be other wild card episodes throughout this year, mostly because when our reporters travel to do an interview, sometimes they come across other cases that aren't featured on a deck that we just can't shake. In this instance, we actually got asked to cover this case by the department. And once we started learning more and more about this case, we quickly realized why. So our card this week is Shelton Sanders, a wild card from South Carolina. Shelton was a young man who disappeared 20 years ago. And despite all the time that's gone by and all the heartache his family has experienced, they've never stopped looking for him. I'm Ashley Flowers, And this is The Deck. On the morning of June 20th, 2001, Peggy Sanders was at home in the small town of Rembert, South Carolina, when her phone started ringing. She picked it up, and on the other end of the line was someone from the University of South Carolina's School of Medicine, where her son Shelton worked. This colleague asked Peggy if Shelton was running late for work that morning because no one at the office had seen him. Peggy was a little dumbfounded by the question because she knew that her 25-year-old son wasn't home. He should have left a few hours ago. You see, at the time, Shelton was living at his family's house, and every day he made the 40-minute drive to Columbia and back. In between taking classes at USC to get a degree in administrative information management, Shelton was working as a computer programmer in the School of Medicine's neuropsychiatry department. That's where he should have been on the morning of June 20th. Peggy knew it was completely unlike her son to be late for work, let alone not show up at all. 
and she said as much to his co-worker who was on the other end of the line. They both agreed that something felt off because Shelton just wasn't the type to blow off his job and classes. In fact, according to his family, Shelton had a habit of making a big deal when he arrived to work each day. He would jovially greet all of his colleagues and announce his arrival when he clocked in every day. Peggy hung up the phone with Shelton's employer, and in her gut, she felt like something was definitely wrong with this situation. If, for some reason, Shelton had gotten caught up with something that morning, she knew he would have at least called her or his dad. Shelton was constantly in touch with his family during the day. This was one of the first things his father, William, and his sister, Wilveria, told our reporter in their interview for this show. He would call home every day and let us know that he made it to work, made it to school, and then when he was on the way back. So it was a frequent conversation with my family. Within minutes of Peggy hanging up with Shelton's employer, she did what I think is natural for any mother or loved one to do when they've just learned that no one knows where their child is. She started making phone calls. She dialed family members, more co-workers, and even hospitals just in case Shelton had been in a car accident or something. And just to give you an idea of how determined Peggy was, she didn't just call hospitals in her local area. She called every hospital between Columbia, South Carolina and Jacksonville, Florida. Like, mom was searching hard. And the reason she made inquiries so far south was because the Sanders actually had other family members in Jacksonville. And she assumed that it might be possible that Shelton had gone there. But again, it's not like he had mentioned any plans to do that. But Peggy just wanted to make sure she covered all the possibilities. The last time anyone in Shelton's family had heard from him was the night before, so June 19th. He'd called home around 8.45 p.m. and talked with his mom. He wanted to let her know that he would be getting home late because he had to go reserve some hotel rooms in Columbia for a friend's upcoming bachelor party. At the time, Shelton was driving his brother Edwin's car because his was in the shop. During that same phone call when he talked with Peggy, he'd also spoken with Edwin and told him that he'd have his car home within two hours, so around 11 o'clock that night. After that, Shelton's family didn't hear from him, but they weren't super alarmed at that point because he told them he'd be coming home later than usual. So they all just gone to bed and no one had actually heard or seen Shelton come home that night. When everyone woke up on the 20th and didn't see Shelton or his brother's car, they just assumed Shelton had already left for work. When they realized that wasn't the case, though, that's when Wilveria, William and Peggy really started to worry. He could have been driving home and got into a car accident or ran off the road. Every call they made to medical centers and other family members turned up nothing. They drove roads, looking into ditches, but still found no clues as to where Shelton was. Within a matter of hours, Shelton's dad, William, went to the Sumter County Sheriff's Office, since that's the county Rembert is located in, and he tried to file a missing persons report. Staff at the department told him he couldn't report his adult son missing for 48 hours. This is a really common line. We hear a lot in stories like this. And the reason some agencies have this policy is because anyone that's a grown adult can technically just choose to go missing if they want to. The sense of urgency you'd normally see, say, if a kid disappeared, isn't there when a 25-year-old just doesn't show up for work. 
It is such a frustrating policy, and I'm always haunted when I think about how many missing people might have had a better chance of being found if an investigation into what happened to them wasn't delayed by two whole days. But despite William telling the deputies that his son was the last person who'd take off on his own without telling anyone, the sheriff's office stood by its 48-hour rule. So William and the rest of Shelton's family was left to start dialing the phones again. They got a hold of some of Shelton's friends to find out if any of them had seen Shelton the night before. William got a hold of staff at USC and one of Shelton's guy friends. And within a few minutes, he was able to piece together some really critical information. He learned where Shelton was and who he was with on June 19th. After attending two hours worth of classes at USC, Shelton went to work at around one o'clock in the afternoon and he got off work at 7 p.m. After leaving work, he went to a friend's house in Columbia and talked with his friend about having to go book those hotel rooms for his friend's bachelor party. Now, it might sound weird that he was planning to go in person to book these rooms, but it is 2001, and online booking wasn't really as easy as it is today. And yes, he could have called, but Shelton had mentioned to his friend that the whole point of going in person to the hotels was to go scope out which locations had the best room configuration for all the guys attending the bachelor party. Now, the friend Shelton went to see after work was initially supposed to help him scout and reserve the rooms. But at the last minute, he told him he couldn't go anymore because he'd made plans to go hang out with his girlfriend. While Shelton was still at this friend's house, one of Shelton's old roommates, a guy named Mark Richardson, who was also a friend of the groom, showed up and volunteered to help Shelton go scout hotel rooms. Before Mark and Shelton left, Shelton told Mark that they'd be taking his brother's car and that they couldn't be too long because he needed to get it back to Rembert that night. So Shelton followed Mark and they drove to Mark's house so Mark could leave his car there. And the men rode together in Shelton's brother's car to go look at the hotels. Around that time was when Shelton made the call home to let his family know he'd be coming home late. But that's all the information Shelton's guy friend could give to William. Everything after that is a complete mystery. And unfortunately, William didn't know Mark, so he didn't make contact with him during this first round of phone calls looking for Shelton. Two days passed, and Shelton's family was only growing more and more worried about him. The moment 48 hours came and went, William reported his son as a missing person to the Sumter County Sheriff's Office. And at that point, it was now June 22nd. Pretty much right away, detectives started interviewing Shelton's family members and his friends, trying to determine his last known whereabouts. Everyone cooperated and gave their statements about the last time they'd all seen or talked with Shelton. The cops learned about Shelton's phone call home and plans to go visit hotels in Columbia. What police can clearly establish is that no one had seen him since June 19th. No one except Mark Richardson. Staff at three different hotels confirmed to investigators that they'd seen Shelton and Mark at their front desks inquiring about booking rooms. Those witness accounts established a window of time between 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. in which the pair was doing what they told friends that they'd set out to do. The last known sighting of Shelton and Mark was around 11 p.m. when a witness indicated the men were wrapping up for the night and heading home. As police reviewed the rough timeline of Shelton's last known movements, they obviously set their sights on tracking down and speaking with Mark Richardson. Right as they were about to do that, though, a person came forward with information that made the investigation turn a corner. 
Detectives were faced with a shocking report that Shelton might not just be missing, he could have been murdered. When it comes to travel, we all have that happy place that we're always dreaming about. Whether it's the snow-capped mountains, white sand beaches, a best friend's wedding, or even a hometown visit, we all have one. I mean, you're probably thinking of yours right now. Wherever your happy place is, Priceline wants to get you there for a happy price so you never have to miss a trip. And listen, as a mom, as a CEO, it's not easy for me to get away, or at least not far away. But ever since I was in college, I have been the queen of staycations. And hand to Bible, Priceline was my jam. I had it dialed in. I'd get four-star hotels for like 50 bucks a night and treat myself after a long work week and college classes. Every Vegas trip I ever took in my 20s was through Priceline. I couldn't even believe anyone ever booked anything another way. And Priceline is more than just hotels. Priceline lets you book your entire trip all in one place. So download the Priceline app today to save up to 60% off select hotels and go to your happy price with Priceline. As Sumter County investigators were getting into the search for Shelton Sanders, they were going door to door where they think he was last seen. And they came across some crucial information from Mark Richardson's next door neighbors. The neighbors told investigators that on the night of June 19th, between 11.30 p.m. and midnight, they heard three gunshots come from Mark's rental trailer in Columbia on Olympia Avenue. The neighbors told police they were so jarred by the sounds that they actually went over to Mark's trailer and asked him what was going on. Now, I'm not sure that's something I would have done. Like, a crime junkie rule is to always stay away from where gunshots come from. But they must have known Mark well enough to venture over to ask him. Mark reportedly told his neighbors, everything's all right. Like, that sound was just my car backfiring. And the neighbors really didn't give his answer another thought until days later when police came knocking at their door to ask if they had heard anything next door on the night in question. And that's when they say they couldn't deny the fact that what they thought they heard were three gunshots. Unfortunately, when investigators learned this information from the neighbors, Mark wasn't home. And up until that point, no one, including police, had been able to get a hold of him. And at this point, when the authorities did learn the suspicious information about Mark from his neighbors, Shelton had been missing for a full week. Mark being with Shelton on the 19th and the information about the gunshots immediately made Mark a key person of interest in the case. So detectives asked him to come in and answer a few questions. Mark agreed to talk with police and confirmed the conversation he had had with his neighbors late on the night of June 19th. But he insisted that the noises that sounded like gunshots were just his car backfiring. Mark said after Shelton dropped him off at around 11.30, he didn't know where Shelton went. Not much else came out of the interview, and police really didn't have a lot to go on to press Mark further. And no one had offered up any reasoning for why Mark would have had it out for Shelton. According to all the friends and family members police had spoken with up until that point, the two men had no beef whatsoever. With no sign of Shelton or his body or Edwin's car, and no real motive for anyone to want to hurt him, police didn't hold Mark or charge him with anything. They didn't even have enough probable cause to try and get a search warrant for his trailer. Pretty quickly, the investigation came to a screeching halt. 
Detectives held on to hope that an actual eyewitness would come forward to give them more information, or that Shelton would just turn up, but neither of those things happened. Some tips did trickle in here and there during the weeks and months after Shelton vanished, but none of them led anywhere. Feeling like police were getting nowhere, William decided to take the investigation into what happened to his son into his own hands. He started going out nightly, looking everywhere he could think and speaking with as many people as he could get to talk to him. I wasn't afraid. It came, I got in my military mode and I would go out and I would walk places and I would ride places, but I didn't want anyone to see me leave home. I would go places where I thought that I would learn something. I would just sit there like a forward observer, look and sit on a target to see whether or not there's any movement. I have a sense in my mind, in my heart, a relief that I did not sit, sit idle. William kept at this for nearly two years, and he learned a lot of information, but nothing that led him to finding out where his son was. Finally, in April of 2003, law enforcement working the case caught a major break. On April 26th, just shy of the two-year anniversary of Shelton's disappearance, a sheriff's deputy in neighboring Richland County, South Carolina, was on patrol in northeast Columbia when he noticed a car at the Greenbrier apartment complex that was backed into a parking space and had four flat tires. The sight alone wasn't super alarming, but it was suspicious enough for the deputy to park and check it out. When he got close enough to it, he noticed that it looked as if the rubber on the tires was actually melting into the pavement. Like, the tires weren't just recently flat. They looked like they had been flat for a while, and the rubber had sort of pooled and melted into the asphalt a little bit. The deputy ran the license plate, and it came back as belonging to Edwin Sanders. Now, thankfully, this deputy knew enough about the Shelton Sanders case in Sumter County to pick up the phone and alert that agency that he had found a car that they would definitely be interested in. Crime scene investigators from Sumter County responded to the apartment complex right away, and they started taking photos of the car and processing potential evidence. Shortly after that, the Sanders family got a phone call informing them that the car Shelton had been driving had been found. After two years of feeling like hope was fading, the Sanders were stunned to hear the news and learn that the car had been sitting right there in plain sight the whole time. I thought that that car was actually either placed in a river you know, or in some lake or even burned. I didn't really expect it to ever, ever see that car again. Investigators carefully combed through the car for clues, but found little in the way of evidence. According to investigators, crime scene techs found some dead flowers in the back seat and a local newspaper from Columbia that was dated June 19, 2001, the day Shelton disappeared. The flowers were an odd find at first, but apparently in June of 2001, Shelton had been pursuing a classmate at USC, and he had told friends and family that he planned on giving this girl the flowers. So based on the fact that they remained in his car, that told investigators that he likely intended to make the romantic gesture on June 19th or possibly the morning of June 20th, but he never got the chance. Instead, the flowers died in the back seat of this abandoned car. 
Detectives swept the trunk of the car for any further forensic evidence, but found nothing. They even searched up and over a hill that was behind where the car was parked, but that too led nowhere. The sight of the abandoned car was difficult for William to handle. It was a glimmer of hope, but it only left them with more questions than answers. It's a day that I won't forget. It'll always be a day that I can't even tell this. You know, I, have, I know I have words to, to tell you what was going on when I saw the car. And Just emotional. Yes, right. Yeah. That's right. Sumter County towed the car to its police impound lot in Columbia, and it's actually still sitting there to this day. Now, despite finding nothing of evidentiary value in the car, the location where it was parked became a focal point for investigators. And actually, it caused the case to be transferred to the Richland County Sheriff's Office. While both agencies stayed involved with the case, and even some investigators with the State Police of South Carolina lent resources, ultimately, Richland County officially took the lead at that point. The first thing detectives wanted to know was if Shelton had any connections or acquaintances at the Greenbrier Apartments. And it turns out, he did have a friend who used to live there. But the Greenbrier Apartments are massive. Like, there are multiple buildings sprawled around a few different blocks. And that friend who lived there didn't actually live in the building directly in front of where the car was found. He lived one building down from the car's location. Our reporter asked detectives with Richland County why this friend who lived there never reported seeing the car during these two years after Shelton vanished. And they said that since it was Shelton's brother's car, police think that the friend didn't recognize it as being associated with Shelton. But aside from even this friend, it seems odd to me that no one reported the car since a be on the lookout had been circulating for such a long time and the car had apparently been sitting there for two years. But police in Richland told news outlets that no reports about the car had come into them during that time. Anyway, the car being discovered moves the investigation forward in a pretty important way. Police had never stopped suspecting that Mark Richardson was somehow connected to what happened to Shelton, but they could never prove it. So now that they had a location where Shelton's car had been abandoned, they worked to get Mark's cell phone records to see if he'd been in that area back in late June of 2001. And wouldn't you know it, Mark's cell phone records showed that he was in the exact same place as Shelton's car on the night of June 19, 2001. So if things looked bad for Mark before, now it's really looking bad for him. Police bring him in for another round of questioning. But remember, this time the case has moved to Richland County and a new set of detectives get their chance to grill Mark. On July 25, 2003, the Richland County Sheriff's Office start in on Mark, asking him why his old roommate Shelton Sanders hasn't been seen since he was at Mark's house two years prior in 2001. And detectives sort of start out slow, wanting to see if Mark would confess to anything. But he didn't. So they changed tactics. They informed Mark that they can now prove, based on his cell phone records, that he was in the same area where Shelton's brother's car was abandoned. Mark explained that Edwin's car and him both being at the Greenbrier Apartments on June 19th was just pure coincidence. And then he told investigators a wild story. Mark said that after Shelton left his trailer that night, Mark had gone to the laundromat and tried to hook up with a girl. 
He ended up in that woman's car near the Greenbrier apartment, but then the girl bailed and he was left alone needing a ride home. Now, police didn't buy the story and pushed Mark for more information about Shelton. And it's at that point in the interview that Mark stopped and he asked a strange question. When it comes to your health, there should be no compromises. Don't go back to that doctor who doesn't fully listen to you or rushes through your appointment. Instead, check out ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Search by location, availability, and insurance. No compromises. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. And you don't have to wait forever to get in with someone good. When I looked online, the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score some same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com deck and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash deck. ZocDoc.com slash deck. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. And that's when he was asking the hypothetical questions about is there such thing as an accidental death in South Carolina? How do you explain getting rid of a body? And how do I go back to Shelton's parents' house and tell them when I've already pretended like I wanted to help them? Let that sink in for a minute. Mark Richardson, in a police interrogation room with his head in his palms, is asking police how consequences for an accidental death work in South Carolina and how a person could explain getting rid of a body. In that moment, the Richland County detectives reminded Mark that Shelton's family has been waiting two years for answers and he owes it to them to at least tell them what happened to Shelton or where his body is. But almost as quickly as it seemed he was breaking, Mark shut down and refused to say anything else. From there, police started moving more in the direction of trying to secure an arrest warrant for Mark. The problem was, he didn't technically go as far as to outright confess to anything. He just asked really, really sketchy questions. Police absolutely thought Mark was involved somehow. They just weren't sure exactly how. They theorized, based on what he said in his interview, that if he didn't kill Shelton himself, then it was possible he at least knew who did, and he likely witnessed the murder and then helped hide his body. So Richland County detectives started rebuilding their case, doing more interviews, reconducting old interviews, and collecting as many statements as possible. And most importantly, they continued looking for Shelton's body. They searched lakes, rivers, swamps, fields, and drainage ditches all throughout Richland and Sumter counties, but still there was no sign of Shelton. Finally, in 2005, after a lot of things happened behind the scenes, 
police were granted search warrants for Mark's trailer, the one he'd been living in back in 2001 when Shelton went missing, along with a new apartment that he'd been living in since 2003. By October 2005, whatever investigators did with the results of those search warrants and all of their investigative efforts up until that point, they were able to officially arrest Mark for the crime, even though Shelton was still missing. Based on what Richland County told our reporter and what the Sanders were told, authorities had enough to bring charges by 2005, so that's what they did. But the specifics of what they had and what their theory was wouldn't come out until Mark's trial. Right after Mark's arrest on October 7th, the Richland County Sheriff told WLTX-TV, quote, We know that he's dead, and we know that Mr. Richardson is responsible, end quote. After that arrest, Shelton's family breathed a partial sigh of relief. They'd long suspected Mark was involved, but like police, they couldn't prove it. Just the fact that prosecutors were willing to try the case without Shelton's remains was a win in their minds. Plus, they hoped that maybe Mark's arrest would make him decide to reveal where Shelton's body was if he was actually involved. The weight of everything that had happened between 2001 and 2005 hit Wolveria hard. She was only 11 when Shelton vanished, but by the time Mark was arrested and charged, she was a teenager. I was just getting out of elementary school, going to middle school. And in middle school, the kids would come to me and say things that their parents told them that I never even knew. And so that always worried me going to high school, especially in high school, it got even worse. But I never could tell my parents because I just didn't say anything to them. I just kept it all in. For years, she missed her big brother. And she longed to have the memories back that were stolen from her and her family. Every Saturday, he would make me get up early in the morning and get on this little stool. We still have this stool at home. And I would have to get up there and cook grits, and he would show me how to make the water in there. And then if I accidentally put too much butter in it, he'd go, like, that's too much butter. (laughs) It took Richland County attorneys three more years to prepare for Mark's trial. But finally, in April 2008, the prosecution laid out its case for a jury. We were able to get the audio recordings of the trial while in South Carolina. Here's the head prosecutor's opening statement. We're going to put witnesses up on this stand. We're going to swear an oath and tell you that late the night of June 19, 2001, they heard three gunshots. And those three gunshots that night happened to be in Olympia. And they happened to be in the yard. And that yard happened to be where the defendant, Mark Richardson, was living in a trailer that he rented. Three distinctive gunshots, June 19, 2001. The state argued throughout the trial that the neighbors hearing the gunshots and Mark's near confession during his second police interview in 2005 were enough for a conviction. Sheldon Sanders was never seen from nor heard from after those three gunshots in his yard. Never heard from again. Body never seen again. 
Mark's defense attorney countered, though, and chastised the government's case, saying that it was built entirely on circumstantial evidence. They emphasized that if jurors wanted to see direct evidence tying Mark Richardson to the disappearance and death of Shelton Sanders, they weren't going to find it. We will point out to you, and you will see, that there's no indication of any physical evidence that Shelton Sanders was killed on June 19th by any other day. There are no eyewitnesses that can testify that Mark Richardson killed Shelton Sanders. By their own admission, they have never found Shelton Sanders' body. In addition to the neighbor witness testimony, prosecutors presented to the jurors the testimony of one of Shelton's friends who said that Mark had experienced what they referred to as an episode of paranoia right before Shelton was killed, and that Mark had stated that he had the desire to kill one of his friends. That testimony was the closest authorities ever got to establishing a motive. They could not find any other reason why Mark or anyone in Shelton's life would benefit from his death or want him dead. The state was convinced that Mark killed Shelton in some sort of momentary rage over something that in hindsight was probably very insignificant. But in all the statements taken from their friends over the years, none of Shelton and Mark's mutual acquaintances ever recalled them fighting or even having issues with each other. The trial lasted more than a week, and after several hours of deliberation, the jury came back with a surprising verdict. Here's a recording of the judge who presided over the trial. I cannot make you deliberate any further. I can ask you if you think that deliberating further would serve any useful purpose. I can ask you if you think coming back tomorrow or anything else might serve any useful purpose but I can't make you do anything, okay? Mr. Foreman, do you think it would serve any useful purpose for the jury to come back further? Do you want to discuss that with your further, with your fellow jurors or anything? You, you, they won't, it won't make a difference. Won't make any difference. Okay. Then uh, the court declares a mistrial in the case. A mistrial because of a hung jury meaning the majority of jurors on the panel couldn't convict the defendant beyond a reasonable doubt, but they didn't necessarily believe that he should be acquitted either. Simply put, the jury couldn't agree unanimously or with a majority. The foreman said that because there was no body and no weapon, there just wasn't enough evidence for them to know for sure what really happened and how involved Mark may have been. After the mistrial was declared, Mark was released on bond and ordered not to have any contact with the Sanders family or any witnesses who testified at trial. He posted bond and was warned that he could be tried again when or if Shelton's body was ever found and prosecutors decided to refile charges. That was in 2008, 14 years ago. Shelton Sanders is still a missing person, and all these years later, no one in his family has closure as to what happened to him. What's worse, they don't even know for sure if his suspected killer is Mark or if it's someone else who's still out there. They told our reporter that they don't even feel strongly about whether or not Mark gets retried. They just want Shelton's body so they can lay him to rest properly. 
In fact, the family has a $25,000 reward up for grabs for any information that helps them find Shelton's remains. I can only speak of my family and what we desire is the remains more so than the suspect. We want the remains home because that's just how close we are. We want to know what happened to our loved one. Laveria always thinks about what it would be like to have her brother around today and what his life would be like. He'll definitely be a computer programmer. He's been married with kids by now. Yeah, I was very optimistic about his, his future, graduating and starting a new career. William has no doubt that if Shelton were still here today, they'd be spending time together, watching their favorite football team, the Dallas Cowboys. But instead of doing that, William is left pondering the last interaction he had with Shelton. I remember this conversation that we had. Uh, he came to me um, shortly before he, had, he went missing. He said, Dad, give me a big bear hug. He said, I'm going to make you very proud of me. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. And this is within days before he went missing. Make you very proud. That's, that's the last thing in my mind. No, we'll never, never forget that. In June of 2021, the Sanders held a 20-year commemoration for Shelton at their home in Rembert. Wilveria planned the whole thing with help from her mom, Peggy, and dad, William. And there was a great turnout. She wanted to celebrate the milestones that Shelton did achieve in his short life and bring awareness to the fact that they're not giving up hope that they will bring him home one day. The family hopes that having events like this around the anniversary of Shelton's disappearance will remind people that the time to come forward is now. The season for justice is now. Shelton Sanders didn't just disappear. His body is out there somewhere. If you want to help the Sanders family bring Shelton home, or if you have any information about the person or persons who may have been involved in his case, there are a few things you can do. You can call the Shelton Sanders anonymous tip line at 803-427-4209, or you can call the Richland County Sheriff's Cold Case Unit at 803-576-3000. The Deck is an audio Chuck production with theme music by Ryan Lewis. To learn more about The Deck and our advocacy work, visit thedeckpodcast.com. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? Mom, I got the job in Manhattan. Do you have a warm enough winter coat? What about your car? I'm selling it with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. How? I enter my license plate number, miles, condition, upload photos, and boom, an official cash offer from a local dealership. A cash offer instantly? Oh, did you call Aunt Stella? She's right there in Massachusetts. Mom, I literally just got the job. Not everything is as simple as selling your car with Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it, kbb.com it. Love is more than a day on the calendar or a sign-off on a letter. Love starts with you. Show off your personal style with new Pandora jewelry pieces that radiate with your love from every angle. With Pandora's vast selection of rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and charms, there's endless ways to show what's in your heart. Write a love note to yourself or your best friend with handwritten charms or a personal engraving. Shop now at Pandora.net. Pandora. Be love.